Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Love of Life podcast. Tonight, we have a guest with us. He's one of the pastors at Providence Reformed Presbyterian Church. He's actually one of our pastors. Um, we're very happy to have with us tonight um, a man who we really enjoy. And he's also a singer extraordinaire, including Irish drinking songs. He is a King Saul historian. He's a baby baptizer. And if he wasn't a pastor, he'd probably be one of the few white dudes gracing the courts of the NBA. He is Ooh. Caleb Scogan. <laughs> wow. How you wow. doing, Scogs? Any education apart from Jesus Christ is for us miseducation. And it produces not education nor an educated man, but a new race of barbarians who are today busily destroying their civilization. Humanistic education is the institutionalized love of death. Christian education, because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, is the love of life. This is the Love of Life Podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. What an intro. I'm not sure about that uh, basketball comment. Uh, uh, well, I heard from you or your wife, Yeah, you were quite the basketball player. Isn't that true? I was athletic and I let a lot of talent go to waste. Okay. All I cared about was trying to dunk and try to make people fall down. <laughs> okay. Awesome. That, is that kind of like parallel to being a pastor? <laughs> dunking. Yeah. No, no. Dunking, making people fall down. <laughs> no, not like the same though. thing. Are you hearing these dings on my. It sounds like you're a popular guy. You're fine. Don't worry about the dings. Everybody's dinging. Sorry Everybody that. has notifications. It's no big deal. No, thank you for that intro. That was very kind of you. You're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) Let's get a little bit more uh, biographical if we can here. So you are, I know we've talked before in the past, you're, you're a pastor's kid. You've got several brothers who are in the ministry. Is your dad, was that part of the plan all along with, with your parents, with your dad? Was he like, Hey, I'm going to have all these boys and they're going to grow up. And you guys all decided to join the ministry. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's on one level. Yeah, it, it is cool. On another level, it's it feels weird to be honest, okay. um, because I, I don't think any of so I have an older brother who's uh, studying uh, to be a priest in the Anglican uh, Church, ACNA, actually technically the REC. Um, my younger brother is a pastor in Texas, in the PCA. Um, so yeah, three of uh, the four boys in our family. Uh, became uh, ministers. It's weird because none of us really set out or even talked about it uh, <laughs> in college, even post-college. Um, it, it's just what I, the, the way I tell it to p- people who ask this, who find out, you know, oh, I have brothers who are in the ministry. My dad was in the ministry, PK, all that stuff. Um, we were a very um, sports driven family and and each of my brothers have this uh, similar story. 
but in college, you know, we kind of discovered that we weren't all as good as we thought we were <laughs> and struggled with that. You know, in high school, we were the, you know, the stars and the, the big guy on campus, whatever. You get to college and everybody's as good as you, if not better. And, and we didn't take that very well, I guess, but in a, in a, in a way, the Lord just kind of very slowly took sports away from me in my college uh, experience, but also my other brothers as well. And so we all have that experience that when college ended, our sports careers were done. It was like, what in the world are we going to do? And each of us have different stories about how we navigated life in, in getting to the ministry. Um, uh, but it, I will not say it was necessarily planned, talked about. My mom has a story where she said, um, once my dad became ordained, uh, she had a friend come up to her and tell her, you know, I've been praying for you. And I've been praying that, you know, with the, the fact that your husband became a minister recently, I've been praying that all your sons become ministers. And my mom used to tell us that. And now that the, now that that's, 75% true. This feels weird. This feels weird. Yeah. I don't really know how to talk about it, honestly. Um, wow. It's just weird. <laughs> what was your journey? Yeah, good question. Um, mine was really through music. Um, and I, I, I could do a long version. Let me do a shorter version. Um, after college, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I had a little bit of a, a music background, uh, played, I had piano lessons, uh, from let's see, age six or seven to about 16. So I had a little bit of proficiency in, in uh, piano and I would love composing and, uh, music at that time, especially the piano was therapeutic, it's, but I, I loved it. I would, always, I would play often. Um, but after college, I just took a job. My daddy basically got me a job. Um, and I, I was married at the time and we moved from, um, Tennessee to North Carolina and I started working for classical conversations, um, under Lee Borton's. I'm not sure if you guys know classical conversations, homeschool, uh, curriculum developing company. Yep. And I worked there for about a year or two and, uh, the founder and the CEO at the time, Lee Borton's, uh, went to my dad's church and she heard me play the piano at like an advent dinner kind of event. And I guess she didn't know that I was musically gifted or anything like that. And she had come to find out I had a, uh, this big idea to do a quadrivium program, this post high school kind of gap year program where the concentration was on the quadrivium. And um, so math and music basically, and astronomy. And she just asked me, are you passionate about music? I was like, yeah. And she's like, would you want to teach music? It's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. And she goes, all right, I want to, I have a job uh, offer consideration for you. Let's talk. And it kind of developed into this, you know, uh, job where we had this program is called um, uh, Mandela Fellowship, where we had 19 students who came and lived with us, North Carolina, ages 17 to 19. And uh, we taught math and music and I was in charge of the music uh, portion of the curriculum and I was so underqualified to teach I had never taught music before I didn't have a um, you know degree in music um, and but I loved it 
And Lee Bortons knew that I loved it. And that's why she hired me. And, you know, I learned a lot that year um, teaching. Uh, it was a lot of failures. You know, I think you learn a lot through failing. And I did. But I, but I learned that this is what I want to do. Music is what I want to do. And I applied to, after that, I applied to so many different programs in music, sacred music programs, musicology programs, didn't get into any of them, didn't get into any of them. Um, and then I applied, found out that Covenant Seminary in St. Louis had a worship and music program in the seminary. And my dad went to a Covenant Theological Seminary, late 80s, 90s. So, you know, they were encouraging me, oh, try, you know, try Covenant Seminary, you know, that's your dad's uh, alma mater where he went to seminary. And that was the only program I got into the worship and music program at Covenant. My plan was to go to Covenant, get the worship and music program and go right back to North Carolina and continue teaching. But we moved here. Things, you know, the Lord just opens doors, kind of redirects your attention, guides you. And under the leadership here at Providence, under Jeff Myers, I was, uh, I was um, guided to add the MDiv at Covenant after the worship uh, and music program. And then through that, and, and talking with more and more people, elders at this church um, guided to consider the pastorate. And I, I was uh, hesitant, very hesitant at first, did not want to. Um, but, you know, the Lord uses people, and he used a lot of people here at Providence to uh, um, encourage me uh, give me confidence and, um, and yeah, looking back, it's just funny how it was not in my cards at all. I did not want, I was going to go get the worship music program right back North Carolina. That was what I decided I was going to do. And even my wife, Katie thought that's what we were going to do. Um, but we stayed for the MDiv and then did the fall in love with this church and the people of this church really is what kind of, um, was the nail in the coffin like serving these people. I felt very called to this church and to the people of this church. And, and so the, the, the transition from, you know, I was an intern here for four or five years, uh, that transition from internship into the pastorate as an assistant, now an associate was really seamless. Uh, and I feel very blessed. I, you know, I, one of the questions I have a lot with my wife and other people who ask, about being called to the pastorate. I feel very called to the pastorate in the sense of this church, the pastor to this church. Um, the future, I don't know. I don't, I don't have this perpetual calling or this feeling that I will be a pastor the rest of my life. I don't know. And that's debated among you know people who are called uh, to be pastors, whether you, you must have this sense of calling with God that you will always be a pastor and that that's your calling. Uh, I got the calling through other people telling me you should do it. And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> oh, that's, that, great. that's the brief. I tried to be as brief as possible. That's, that's the brief story about how I got there. And it is through music. It really was. Yeah. I mean, uh, my music studies really opened up doors where I was so interested in music and then boom, I'm so interested in aesthetics and beauty. And then boom, I'm so interested in the history of music. And you study the history of music in the West and you're studying church history. 
And then with that, you're studying theology and then you're studying philosophy and you see uh, these stages of how philosophy has evolved over the years and how it's directly related to music. So I was just in all these uh, worlds, just, just geeking out, just loving how music opened up all these doors for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what led me to consider uh, other things like theology, especially biblical theology, and then the pastorate. Yeah. 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 What, what, what has it been like uh, under the wing of Pastor Jeff, Jeff Myers at, uh, at, at our church who, you know, I've, I've read a few of his books now. Courtney right. and I have been going for about nine months to Providence and we're blown away by him, you, the church in general, the people, you know, I'm just from top down. It's, it really is a wonderful church. Um, Pastor Jeff specifically though, can t- talk a little bit about your yeah. tutelage or underneath him, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, other interns and I have said it like this. Um, other interns uh, that have gone through Providence who, who also went to Covenant Seminary, we've, we've put it like this. And I'm not meaning to say anything negative about Covenant. That's not what I mean here. But if it wasn't for Myers and Providence, our seminary experience would have been a failure. Mm -hmm. Uh, what he provided us uh, in addition to what we were getting in seminary was so crucial i think to the preparation of the pastorate um not just crucial it was it was more than what we got at the seminary um you know he 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 was he was so instrumental in terms of uh, uh talking about what we're going through in seminary our questions theological questions our complaints um, frustrations. Um, he was just very inviting about getting feedback or providing feedback, uh, for us about our, uh, seminary, uh, experiences, both in the classroom, but also familial, uh, what we were going through. Um, and you could, you could literally talk to him about anything. One of the things in the PCA and the PCA history is that there are, there are there are certain no-nos. There are certain topics you just don't talk about. Or if you have questions or doubts about, you just don't bring them out, bring them up. Pastor Myers, you could talk about anything with him. For instance, me and a couple other interns, um, you know, there's, and this is, this is, this is actually becoming more and more in um, American evangelicalism. Uh, We had an attraction to the Orthodox church. Um, Mostly the music, but also just there's a masculine kind of presence within Eastern Orthodox Church, and and that really drew me and a couple of other interns, and we had all these questions, and it felt like you couldn't talk about this with most Presbyterians, but we took our questions and our thoughts and our um, uh, feelings to Pastor Myers, and he was just great about uh, uh, taking those, uh, giving encouragement, understanding, but then also trying to guide us and, and give us things to read or give us wisdom that was helpful. Um, the other thing he did for us was he provided a, a, a sacramental uh, theology that we just didn't get very much at Covenant and a liturgical education. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, this is another thing about what Pastor Myers does with his interns that is also kind of um, uh, what Providence our church does as a whole is it gives interns an opportunity to lead, um, to lead in the liturgy, whether that's readings or, um, you know, the call and responses. Um, he puts us up there mm-hmm. and lets yeah. us learn quickly, you know, kind of throwing you in the deep end. 
Yeah. Um, and that was so helpful. I mean, I knew seminary peers who preached once in their whole seminary experience at their churches. Wow. Who rarely led liturgy or anything. Uh, and we were constantly up there. And Pastor Myers wanted us to be up there. He knew we needed that kind of training. Then we mm-hmm. weren't getting that kind of training in seminary. Yeah. And then also the fact that the Providence uh, congregation allowed us to do this. Like, you know, weren't complaining. We, we, there were so many flubs and, and mistakes that we made leading the liturgy and doing the readings and saying the wrong, uh, you know, response or call. Um, and they were just so gracious with us. So it, re- it was under Myers, but it was the fact that Providence and its people just took us in and knew that we were going to fail and, and loved having seminary students up there learning. Sure. Uh, through the opportunities that Jeff gave us. Um, I'm ranting. Sorry. No, you're um, good. Paul, your question, can, can, oh, Myers. Go ahead. Yeah. Now. yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Continue to talk about Myers, but at some point hit liturgy yeah. a little bit for people that might be a little unfamiliar when they, when, when, when they hear the word liturgy coming from a non-denominational background, some people are Baptistic. Mm-hmm. Some people will listen to that and go, what an archaic word. What does he mean by liturgy? So at some point turn, turn around a little bit and talk a little bit about liturgy and tell us about yeah. that. Yeah. Good. Um, that, well, liturgy is, is one of the biggest, um, topics, um, ways of life that I have learned from Pastor Myers. Um, you know, my music studies, what I, what I've found is that, you know, I was interested very early on, even before coming to seminary, why do we sing what we sing in worship? Why do we pick, why do pastors, why do these musicians, why do they pick what they pick? What, what is the, what is the rationale for why we choose what we choose to sing in work in, in worship? And one of the things that Pastor Myers gave me specifically was this understanding of worship and what is going on in the worship. Um, you know, this, like he said, I think this past Sunday, the roof being blown off the building and heaven and earth meeting, and you're in the presence of the triune God, where he is meeting with his people and giving his gifts to his people. You know, starting with that kind of general understanding of, of what's going on in worship, that is what then dictates the kind of music. So it's, it's not about starting with the music necessarily and saying, okay, what are we going to why these words or this hymn or this uh, song or whatever um, and and analyzing the music for the music. It starts with, okay, what is going on in worship? What is God doing with his people in worship? What is, what is so special and unique about worship? And then that then dictates the kind of music that, that fits, that is appropriate for that space and for that time where God is meeting with his people and giving his gifts. And so Meyer's um, influence in my understanding of what is going on in worship and how liturgy should be done, not just in the content, but in the leading of liturgy was instrumental. And it affects so many of the things I love, uh, things like music, things like aesthetics and beauty um, and sacred space and, and so much more. Uh, but to your, to your question, yeah, liturgy. I want to be careful. I don't want to go off. I, I get, I get really um, uh, grouchy when I start talking about liturgy, honestly. <laughs> Feel free to get grouchy, man. Come on. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll say it like this. I, I get really tired of uh, how liturgy today is this buzzword. 
Um, it's become cool, you know. Um, it's become this thing like, oh yeah, we do liturgy, and then you ask, what do you mean by liturgy? And they mean, um, oh, we we have a we have a poet who uh, who leads us in worship, or or we have or we've we've thought through. Uh, what we should be doing prior to the worship. We're not being spontaneous and we're, we're doing things with intention. That's what people mean by liturgy. Or, or you hear these definitions of liturgy is just um, the way you do things, right? The sequence of, of what you do, how you do things. And um, everybody has a liturgy. And, and that was big. I, I can't remember where that came from. I was just, that's been a, 40 year old, if not more kind of um, uh, phraseology to describe what liturgy is just a way of doing things. Yeah. And what I've come to find out and discover through Meyer's influence is that liturgy is, is, is really about the liturgy. It is about taking those, you know, Levitical sacrificial principles and going from purification to ascension, to peace, you know, the, the purification offerings to the ascension offerings and to the peace offerings. Uh, and it, you see this throughout the early church and throughout church history is that it is a specific sequence. It is a dogmatic sequence of how God meets with his people and gives them his gifts. So it's, it's not just a way of doing things as if you can just pick and choose whatever you want to do. And as, and as long as you're intentional, you're good. Um, uh, or, or maybe you care about symbolism. And if you, you're doing things that are symbolic, may not, maybe not even biblical symbolism, but just symbolic. And this means this is a cool symbolism. Then you're doing liturgy. No, liturgy has always been historically um, a, a specific rite. R-I-T-E, rite of worship, uh, where uh, God meets with his people in specific ways to give him, to give us specific gifts for our human flourishing in the world. Um, and, you know, I, 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 can, I can come off when I talk about this with other people as kind of um, elitist, I guess. And this is maybe a temptation with those who care about liturgy they come off as you know this way or or and if you're not doing this well then you don't understand worship and you're not doing liturgy um i would just say god's grace and mercy is so amazing that even if you're not doing the liturgy in your meeting to sing praise and and hear his uh, word explained he's still giving you his gifts but i do think that the church needs and ministers specifically you just need to pay uh uh, more attention uh, to uh, the Old, Test Old Testament worship and uh, how that has influenced so much of early church worship and uh, throughout church history worship that we've kind of neglected here in uh, the States in the last 300, 400 years. Yeah. Sure. Can you recommend any books? And of course, right comes to mind is the Lord's Service, Pastor Jeff's book. Yeah. Um, that's one book. But are there other books that somebody goes now, they're on the other side. They're not on the Presbyterian liturgy. They're on the, say, maybe the charismatic side. People could be listening, non-denominational. Some people would listen to this and go, I, I don't quite know exactly what he's talking about, but it sounds really interesting. 
I mean, really, I mean, there, there's, uh, and then there's people, what is he talking about? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's people within our church that go, of course, we see this every week. Mm-hmm. We know exactly what you're talking about. Of Good course. Point. Um, point. But are, are there materials that uh, someone could, could read, listen to that would point them in the direction of, Oh, well, this is what, this is what he's referring to. Ooh. Um, things that come to mind are just more, um, Okay, oh, oh, come, let us worship um, by Robert Raymond, uh, Robert Rayburn. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a, a wonderful primer uh, to uh, worship. I think he wrote that in the eighties. Um, hmm. There is one, and I am I am forgetting the title. I just went over this actually in Sunday school. I'm looking around my office to see if oh, I you're see. Oh, you're good. It. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, does Lightheart have a title, perhaps, or? On worship specifically? On worship. I mean, his his books are filled with these principles and these ideas, and he, he will reference th- these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, mm, not not specifically on worship. No. No. And no. and okay. Yeah. All right. No, I, oh, it's all right. Nothing so, to come to mind, we'll honestly. We'll but, add it in. <laughs> yeah. To your question though, are you are you asking like um what are some books or resources that can begin people with this understanding of liturgy mm-hmm. uh, instead of like jumping full into say some uh, like uh, a Jeff Myers book, the Lord's service and, and be a little bit overwhelmed. Is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I would, I would personally suggest Jeff's book because mm-hmm. that has been an eye opener for me right. and it has taught me many things regarding church service in general, but also the liturgy, worship, the regulative principle, things of that nature. Um, yeah. I feel like his book has been a great primer for me who didn't quite grow up in the same background as what Providence, as what we do week in, week out. Right. Um, no, I'm sorry. Nothing is really coming to mind. And, and, and I think part of the problem why nothing is coming to mind is that there just aren't many books written about this. So you know what you need to do, Caleb. <laughs> well, no, I'm not writing a book. No. Um, Why not? What I, what I mean by this is that there are plenty of books within church history that seek to explain, say, the Mass, sure. the Roman Catholic Mass, or for Anglicans, the Book of Common Prayer and what they do in, in a in – a, uh, trying to synthesize what, why they do what they do in, in the Mass and in the Book of Common Prayer and what are the biblical principles for why they're doing what they're doing, which I think is helpful and good, um, mostly. Um, but as far as what, what I mean by there's not many books written about what, what we're talking about is that in the evangelical Protestant world, mm-hmm. I mean, Meyer's book in many ways was revolutionary for Protestants. In some ways, he gave Protestants a right, R-I-T-E, for how to do biblical worship um, that had not been happening, for the most part, in evangelical Protestant circles. Right. Um, and, and that, and that uh, uh, tag along and connect with the, the tradition of, of our Christian heritage. Um, I, I'm, I'm probably coming off a little ignorant with these sweeping statements, um, but that's how I've understood it. That's how I've discovered it. Yeah. Sure. 
Awesome. Good. Well, I'm going to segue us and change topics a little bit, but right. can you talk to us about family devotions, why they're important, maybe kind of what you do, um, what you experienced growing up with family devotions? Yeah. Um, ooh, big one. Okay. Um, Start with why, why, why do we do them? Are they important? Do they matter? Nah, they're not. No. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, next topic. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i so you know oh, there's so many things that are coming to mind right now um uh i'll, I'll start with what i was given as a, as a you know pk growing up in the church uh, christian family um a lot of what i have come to find out uh about family devotions in terms of its importance and why the blessing that it is 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 i feel very blessed to have grown up in a uh, family where family devotions was taken very seriously, especially when we were young. My dad um, was constantly um, reading us, uh, reading to us and my brothers, my sisters uh, scripture, but then really trying to distill it on the level and the ages that we were trying, you know, make it fun, make it. Um, it wasn't just like reading and all right, that's, that's it. He was really trying to help us understand um, uh, scripture, the stories. I mean, I grew up on these incredible Old Testament stories. Even if I wasn't able to explain all the theology behind them, I was given a knowledge of the Old Testament and the New Testament through my parents and family devotions. I remember, um, you know, when, when you're little, you, all, you, you always have your stuffed animals, right? When my dad would take um, me and my brother's stuffed animals and he would do, you know, Goliath and David with the stuffed animals and the huge bear, you know, is Goliath and the little, I don't know, tiger is David. And he would act out these. And I, I remember being little. I still remember these, still remember these uh, stuffed animal, uh, you know, Bible stories that my dad would do. But also with that, um, a lot of singing. A lot of singing. Um, uh, at the time, my dad played the guitar when we were little, and so we would we would sing all sorts of psalms, all sorts of hymns, um, and uh, that was incredibly formative in uh, not just my in, in my life and in my passions for music, but in all my my siblings. And all my siblings uh, can carry a tune and 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 sing out in worship because of family devotions. Uh, that my parents did when we were little. Um, now, it is true, <clears throat> I mentioned that we were a very sports-driven family. And you know, when you're a sports-driven family and you have a bunch of kids, schedules just get crazy. They just get crazy. And so it was harder as we got older. Um, I, I think the, the sweetest devotional days were, you know, in terms of my memory, kindergarten to about eighth grade. And then you know, in high school, when we're running around and you can't, the schedules are just constantly getting in the way. It became a, uh, it became a morning tradition where morning was when we did family devotions. And, you know, as, as a teenager, you know, you get out of bed, you're all groggy. You're just trying to get some cereal and your dad's like, all right, we need to do family devotions. You're like, oh my gosh, can I just read the back of the cereal box, please? Um, <laughs> But, you know, he, he was he was still faithful, um, uh, but it was it was it was less. Um, uh, 
it, it took on a different form. And I think, and I think looking back, my parents would say they, they regret the, that it didn't continue the way it did when we were little. Uh, But some of that is just natural with stupid teenage kids. Um, But I do remember kind of funny. um, My dad had this, uh, this saying he would always do. He would be reading scripture, you know, we're all eating cereal, whatever, barely listening. We're just smacking away, hearing the crunch sounds from our mouth, you know, and uh, he would, he he noticed that we weren't listening and uh, he would stop and say, you know, Caleb, what did I just read? You know, I'd be like, "Uh, I don't know. (laughs) He would always say the same thing. He would say, um, you know, I don't have to read this. I don't have to read. I could go into my bedroom right now and read by myself. And I would look at my brother and be like, I hope he would. (laughs) (laughs) But my dad, you know, he, he was, he he was very faithful still with uh, uh, morning devotions uh, and instilling uh, a a sense of God's word is primary. And and we would even still sing in the mornings too. Uh, Maybe not as many songs like we would when we were little, Uh, but that formative um, experience and devotions especially then when I uh, got married and had kids, uh, it it was just, it was so powerful. I knew I I had to do this. I knew I had to give my kids what I was given. Um, And, and what we do to your question, Courtney, about kind of what we do is we use the Alfred Rex storybook Bible. I don't know if you know about this. It was, it was out on our foyer in our church for a while. Um, great storybook Bible. The pictures are amazing. Um, it's not cheesy. It's, it's, it's just, and, and the, the bibliography that they use to put this together, um, incredible. Um, so we use that and they have questions at the end uh, for, you know, um, I assume to be kids. And so we use that and then we just do a lot of singing, a lot of psalm singing specifically. Um, Let's break down the components real quick, if we can. Yeah, so, so you've got your book, you've got the singing. Tell us about, is there kind of a step of service, so to speak, in the Skogan home when you guys are doing devotions? Is it like, okay. Like a liturgy? Got, we've got, yeah, exactly. Is there some <laughs> liturgy going on here? I assume there is. Is it, is it, is it read story, ask a question, then sing, pr- uh, pray? What do you guys do? How, how, how does it work? Yeah, good, good question. Um, I'll say this. I wish it was more liturgical more rubric than it is um i think why it's not or sometimes it is but why mostly it's not is because when they're little um it's it's hard to do rubric kind of liturgy because i do think that devotion specifically should have an element of fun i mean it, it it is more informal um, obviously we are before God, but it's not like, uh, uh in worship, uh, on the Lord's day with God's people. I think it's a, it's a, it's a little different, um, uh, context. So I do think there is times to make it more informal, um, maybe even, uh, jokes, fun. So with, with that, I, I, I kind of want to create more of an informal setting. That's not to say I'm against, uh, formal family liturgies, not at all. Uh, I have just found that um, uh, making that time with my girls specifically uh, uh, fun and upbeat and um, and less formal has been really helpful for them. And that's not how we always do it. Um, so yeah, so what, what we do 
is we usually open with some kind of uh, prayer. I might have a, a written, like a collect or written prayer. Um, and, and then we go to our scripture reading and I might paraphrase certain things to help them understand what's going on. Um, and then uh, once the reading is done, I'll ask some questions about the reading. And then from there, we just do, we just knock out Psalms. We literally just knock out some Psalms that we've been practicing or that we know. So uh, we either go to, all right, we got to learn a new Psalms. So we do call and response. So I'll sing a line. They'll sing it back to me. I'll sing the next line. They sing it back to me. And we just go over and over it until they, you know, uh, have some of it memorized. And then we go to one that they know really well that we've done in the past. Um, and then, or, or sometimes I'll say, all right, what, what do you girls want to sing? What do you girls want to sing? And they might name a hymn or a psalm that they know. Um, and then we uh, go after that, we usually try to go around and pray for something. Uh, each person prays for something, typically gratitude, thanksgiving prayers. Um, and then we end with uh, doxology or something like that. Um, yeah, so it's, it's not as liturgical as you might have guessed. Uh -huh. um, it, it's more informal. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I want to know what you guys do. You've been here, you know. <laughs> okay, so so what we experience is kind of what you guys do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. pretty much, right. we will start with uh, late. Well, actually, since they they were here, we've been uh, we, we go through the Ten Commandments. Just we mm. say the Ten Commandments. We use Katie's finger. Yeah, reminders. Your wife has some really awesome reminders <laughs> that has stuck that That's we right. do. And then we're also memorizing the books of the Bible. We're still in the Old Testament, but Excellent. we're in the Minor Prophets section, which kind of gets a little hazy. Uh, yeah. with some of those guys. So we're memorizing the Old and New Testament books titles, which takes, you know, all of this takes two seconds, the Ten Commandments, the, the books, and then we will pull a chapter out and we've just, it's been linear for us. We're in the book of Acts right now, mm. chapter 14. Yeah. We went through the book of, it's amazing what you can go through quickly when you're doing half a chapter an evening. And that's about what we do. It's probably maybe half a chapter, sometimes a yeah. little less. Yeah. Um, so it's not extensive reading, but as soon as I'm done with the reading, I immediately will ask questions about what we just read. Okay. So who, who was the character in the story? What was going on? What was happening? And right. it is amazing how well all three of the boys can regurgitate. Well, this is what I just heard. This is what happened. And then we talk about it. And then in the end, similar to what you guys, you and pastor Jeff do, we say, I, I ask, are there any questions? You know, so that way, if there's <laughs> oh, any questions yeah. about the scripture, Let's go ahead. Yeah. And let's let's talk about it. Is there a theological question, historical? And sometimes I, a lot of times I won't know the exact answer because <laughs> it'll be some like, you know, humdinger kind of zinger question. <laughs> like, what was that? Like, wow. That's yeah. a really good question. I'm going to have to ask yeah. Pastor Caleb next time I see him. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and then after that, we do, uh, uh, I, we do the Lord's prayer and then we do the uh, doxology. Good. That's and that's awesome. how, and that's pretty much what we do. And honestly, I don't know about you guys, but it takes us 15 minutes, 20 minutes tops. It's not super yeah. long. Uh, there's a phrase that you use and I don't want to be, I don't want to, it would be remiss if I didn't say it. It's not the first time I've heard it, but you use it almost every week. And I'm, I'm so happy that you use it. Uh, but that is that this gets into our bones. Oh, I feel yeah. like regarding liturgy or psalm singing or the word of god itself that's usually when you refer to that you use that phrase it gets into your bones and i feel like that's what we're doing with our kids with family devotions 
It's Excellent. really getting the word of God, even in small sections yeah. to them and implant that every single evening or most every evening. We don't make every evening, but we try sure. uh, and, and getting that into their bones and into their hearts, into their minds, into our conversation is um, it's been, I don't know about you guys, but it's been very transformative for us in the last six months or so that we've implemented. Especially when you're consistent. Yes. Yeah, yeah Which, I think. We've also learned that doing things repetitious mm-hmm. doesn't make it, you know, unimportant or rote. Like you're making it important by doing it over and over. And the more familiar you are with some of it, just the more you can even absorb it and take it mm-hmm. in and watching mm-hmm. that too. You know, you would think, well, it's dry that we have beginning and end that are kind of the same, but it's not. It's like we're all more and more engaged the more familiar we are with it. Um, Absolutely. That's something we've learned from this church specifically. Yeah, that's, that's excellent, Courtney. It reminds me uh, of this, um, of of a, of a, of the idea of meditation. I I think that in many ways, that repetition that you mentioned, which then helps your memory, right? Mm -hmm. In, In so many ways, that is how you meditate on God's word by knowing it, by actually having it memorized, uh, you start seeing different things about that verse or that scripture because you have it, you have it memorized. You can recall it at any time uh, in, in any situation, and, and then things about that text get revealed even more to you because you've memorized it. And then one of my favorite uh, verses that kind of ties into what Jesse was saying about you know, getting it into your bones is uh, Psalm 119, verse 11. I write God's word on my heart so that I might not sin. I mean, he's not talking about, you know, uh, considering God's word or taking it to heart, you know, know, writing on his heart, taking it to heart, you know. No, he's talking about pouring over it, memorizing it, repetition, uh, just repeating God's word over and over so that it, it, it is a part of him. It like it goes into him and is now a part of him and he can then recall it, meditate on it. And especially in those, uh, those uh, experiences where you're tempted, boom, you have God's word like this, almost like the Holy spirit in, in, in your conscience yeah. um, uh, affecting the way you live in those moments, especially yeah. when temptation happens. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and then what you guys were saying, about the you know Lord's Supper, uh, Ten Commandments, in uh, family devotions, there is an element of family devotions that is absolutely education, mm-hmm. um, teaching your kids, you know, ten days uh, or it's just ten days, seven days of creation, the Ten Commandments, the um, you know all these specifics, the, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene's Creed, Nicene Creed, um, all these things that will later uh, uh, serve them in their spiritual walk with Christ, uh, or they're not just future, they're current, but, you know, kids in terms of their comprehension, obviously they grow into these things that we're giving them. Um, we want, we want to give them things to grow into, not grow out of. Right. Yeah. I yeah. love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So when you're singing the Psalms, are yeah. there, how do you pick what melody or what variation of it? Do you make them up? Do you chant them? Are there, is there a resource you go to? And let's talk about chanting too. <laughs> Great question. And perhaps right. we can get a demonstration. Oh, um, 
Yeah, great question, Courtney. Um, so I got the chant bug about six years ago, going to Theopolis Institute and uh, being in this uh, intensive on music specifically. Uh, James Jordan was teaching at the time with Ken Myers and we would worship three times a day. And most of these worship times uh, were chanting the Psalms. And some of them were tunes that James Jordan wrote. Some of them were Lutheran tunes. Some of them were Anglican. It was a uh, hodgepodge of a lot of resources kind of compiled to do these uh, times of uh, worship at Theopolis. And I came away uh, from that experience just changed, truly changed. Um, and I started researching, trying to find chant tones, uh, tunes that could quickly be uh, uh, arranged for scripture. Um, I started composing ones, um, making up to uh, tones. Um, some that, you know, I look back and go, Oh, that was so bad. Um, uh, but my, my girls know, know them. So it becomes kind of like this fun, like a Skogan. These are Skogan tones. They're not good. They're not for the church, but they're our history. And so we still sing them. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I just became inundated with trying to find tones for the Psalms and we use the ESV in our church. Um, and so I, I, I tried to make sure that all of these were arranged for the ESV um, uh, because that's what our denomination and our, and our church uh, generally uh, uses. That's the translation we use. Um, and so I just became obsessed trying to get these, <laughs> these, find these tones, appropriate tones that I thought matched uh, in my limited knowledge matched uh, the spirit of the text and the content of the text. And then we just started, you know, it was basically call and response. I would sing a line, they would sing it back. And it, it's fascinating how young kids love this. They, they don't question it. Adults question it. You know, well, why are we chanting? What is this archaic? What are we doing? You know, uh, kids don't chant or uh, question it. They love it. They, mm -hmm. I've experienced this, not just my own kids, but so many other uh, kids in, in church uh, contexts. Uh, VBS. I mean, if I could get VBS to do only chant. Mm, that's the goal. Yeah. So what makes chanting better than your three chords and a light show, strobe light, fog, hill song kind of, kind of deal? Like what is, is there a dichotomy? Is, is there a big difference? I mean, why do why should we bring back something that is archaic? Someone might ask. Well, it's we not have... as archaic as people think it is. Okay. Um, most hymnals um, up until like, and this is not my, um, someone, a friend told me this. I'll, I'll give him credit. His name's Paul Buckley. Uh, he, he told me and others that I was with that, uh, and this was at Theopolis Institute, I believe. Um, that up until like, I'm going to get the date wrong. 1942. Even Baptist hymnals before that had chant tones and, and for the Psalms. So this is, this is not as archaic as people think. This is more of something we've abandoned as the evangelical American church uh, in the last 80 years or so. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not that archaic. Um, but why, why, why is it important? Well, I, okay, I, I'm trying to think of a way to be succinct here. Um, so <clears throat> a 
obviously we would agree and you know and across denominations christians would agree that uh um god's word is sacred and and holy um it, it is true it is it is infallible but one of the things we don't consider is that the form of of god's word is also infallible sacred holy mm-hmm. um meaning it's not just the content um that is true it's the way the content is formed and written that is also as pastor meyer says charmed um uh, magical in a sense mm-hmm. um uh softening hearts and and the holy spirit speaking to us through his word so it's not just the content it's it's the form and and especially um in the psalms which are all songs um those have a uh, uh those that's po- it's poetry and 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 if you know poetry you know that the form is the content uh there you know uh poets know this um even composers know this um painters know this um you you can't really i mean you can distinct content and form in terms of talking about it but trying to separate content and form it 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 ruins the art it ruins the piece it ruins what you're trying to do you can't separate those two Mm -hmm. so i think uh we as um uh uh, you know trying to read study and and memorize sing god's word with integrity we need to consider the form as well as the content which means we need to consider good translation of god's word uh that care about um, these uh, poetic devices, say, like in the Psalms, but other wisdom literature, of, of course, and want to keep that intact so that when we read it, we are formed not just by the content and these ideas, but by the form of the, of the poetry and God's word speaking to us. Mm-hmm. And, and because of that, um, I think it's only, it's only right that you try to find tones and music where you can sing God's word as it reads and that you're not messing with it in order to fix or to make it uh, fit, you know, English rhyme schemes or whatever, uh, which, you know, a lot of um, the book of Psalms for singing, which I grew up on, I love, or a lot of these um, Anglo Geneva Psalter, uh, uh, the Gudamel tones. um, Those are, it's almost like you're doing Yoda talk, you know, (laughs) where you take part of the Psalm and you kind of switch it or you restructure it, re-paraphrase it, so that it rhymes, right? Uh-huh. And what you do, I mean, those, that's fine. And, and, and those are great, what I call them hymns. They're not necessarily psalms, they're hymns, because uh, you're messing with uh, the form of God's word. Um, those are great. But what I think we should also be doing is, is taking God's word as it is and trying to sing it. And, and remember, singing is the best way to memorize something. Um, uh, so to sing it as it is. And when you look at the history of the church, and, and their singing of the Psalms, canticles, and other scripture, this is why they uh, chose to use chant. It, it, it's not as if chant um, is, is this purely archaic uh, thing that we now evolve past because we, we have different or better types of, of music or more evolved music, which we do. We have more evolved music in the history of the church. Uh, but why traditions and churches still do this is because it is the best way to sing the text as it is. Um, and I, I, will, I will say that it can be hard to find good 
tones. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of tones are bland. A lot of traditions uh, uh, choose to sing text, the text with these bland tones and just say, hey, we're singing the text. At least we're singing the text. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to be like, okay, yeah, but let's try to find some good tones, <laughs> some tones that, you know, uh, reveal the, the content of the text as well. Yeah. Is there any... Is there anywhere online that have good tones in their music? Is there anywhere that people can find this if they're unfamiliar? Is there like Skogan's channel of tones for the Psalms? Hey, that's not a bad idea. (laughs) I kind of like that. It has a good sound to it. It does, yeah. There are resources galore. Oh, really? Okay. And none of which I would say, here's where you go. Well... Clayton Psalm Tones. That's one. Clayton Psalm Tones. Look, okay. yeah, look that up. Um, some of them are hard to sing, maybe inaccessible to, to some people. Um, there, are, there are many resources online uh, through different denominations where they have some really good stuff, but you have to, you have to, you have to dig in and find it. Almost like you're digging for gold or gems, rubies and stuff. Cause you just have to sift through a lot of uh, stuff. That's just not that good, honestly. Sure. Um, so you need to make a playlist at least. Mm, all 150 mm, Psalms. Yeah. Best sure, ones that you found. Okay. Or, or put together your own and then put it out there for people to listen to because you're, I know what you're doing. You more than able. You're as, doing. as I mentioned, you are an accomplished musician uh in you don't just play irish bar tunes so i mean you, you have quite the the repertoire in your arsenal to uh... i i very much enjoy thank you for the compliments i very much enjoy uh composing and trying to come up with appropriate tones uh, uh for for worship and 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 god's word um i don't know there's just so many people doing it and, and, and good stuff out there. I, I feel like I've, I mean, I've, I've only been six years uh, into Psalm chants and, and trying to find these kinds of tones for the Psalms. So I feel like I'm still a newbie. I do. Um, six years is a little while. Six years is a little it's pretty while. Good. Yeah. I mean, that's like a degree and a half in <laughs> a lot of people and most people don't stick around for that long. I think, I think you're doing something good and I'm not, no, I, people need to know. I know. I mean, I know you, I'm not brown yeah, yeah, yeah. saying you are very gifted. So, you know, I, I hear it every week at church. So do you have, do you have a favorite song and a chant that you've put to it? You could give us a preview. Mm, great question. Um, right on the spot. Yeah. You know, I, I, one comes to mind. I'm not sure if it's my favorite, but it, it came to mind. Um, I might have it with me. Yeah, because it's in our Matins liturgy. Hold on a second. Yeah, and for the Lenten season, I think this is appropriate. Psalm 130, it's a penitential psalm. Um, this, This tone specifically goes back couple hundred years. I forget the composer, honestly, but you'll find it in Anglican hymnal. You'll find it in Presbyterian hymnals. This, this tone specifically I found in a, in an old 1867 Presbyterian hymnal. 
And then later I found it in an Anglican hymnal, which made me think, mm, I wonder if the Presbyterians got it from the Anglicans. Actually. <laughs> um, what, you want me to sing this? Yes, please. Yeah. The whole thing? Yeah, sure. All right. You, you might know this. We've, I think we've done it in, in uh, the liturgy on Sunday before. All right. All right. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Yahweh. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Yahweh, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for Yahweh, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in Yahweh, for with Yahweh there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank nice. you. Yeah, it has a little, a uh, little bit of a, a Jewish sound. It does. That? Yeah, there yeah. is a slight Jewish sound to that. So that's another reason why I like that tone specifically. It's it's just an easy kind of once you once you hear it a couple times, you're ready to sing it, and yeah. you can almost not look at the words anymore, and you can just look at the text and sing it. Um, my girls especially love that one. So yeah. that's the one that came to mind when you asked. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I like it. Now you mentioned a lot that fathers should lead in worship and singing at home. I believe you've mentioned that before. What happens? Okay, so let's say you get a dad who yeah. he has the desire, <laughs> but he doesn't have the tone and the pipes to go along with it. And he knows that he can't hum even a bar. Can yeah. he A, learn and should he do it anyway, even if he is tone deaf and can't sing? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, can he learn? Now, everyone has different hurdles and roadblocks to their, uh, to finding their voice. I know that sounds cliche or whatever. Um, everyone, you know, has those moments where they have tried to sing, sounded terrible, voice cracked, Someone told them, you sound terrible, you shouldn't be singing. And so they just get in their minds, oh my goodness, I shouldn't be singing. I'm not going to sing. I don't want to hear myself. I hate hearing myself, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so there, and some people have those experiences in more intense ways than others. Some people just have these upbringings where singing is just not what they did, right? Um, so I, I, what I would want to say is, yes, you can learn to sing. It is very rare to be tone deaf very rare. And a lot of people will say, oh, I, I'm tone deaf. I, I, I don't sing. And I typically say, nah, you're not tone deaf. You just don't want to sing because of a lot of reasons that I might not know. Right. So what I would want to do is get with that person one-on-one -on -one and just try to make them comfortable with singing. Um, and, and I will say that I've done this a lot, especially with men and everyone's different. Everyone's progress is different. Um, but, but in my experiences, I think everyone can learn to sing, you know, with, with, with rare exceptions of, of people being tone deaf, um, uh, put aside, 
uh, everyone can learn. I think it is, it is very, it is one of the things that makes us human is our ability to sing. Uh, you know, humans, you know, we are made to be worshipers. And, and the way we worship is, is through praise and song. That is how God made us. Uh, and it is very rare that God would make uh, people or, or, you know, fallouts from sin and evil in the fall uh, where uh, people just can't do it, can't produce. That's very rare, which is a product of the fall and evil, um, but uh, it's very rare. So I would want to say, yes, everyone can learn to sing, but how they learn will be different. And not everyone is on the same, you know, starting block, if you will. Um, what was the second part to that question? <laughs> oh, oh, in devotions. What should a husband do if he can't sing? Is that how you asked it? Yeah. 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 But, oh, man. Um, Why should I, the man sing? Why should the father want to sing for his family? Yeah. Um, well, uh, this is what our father does in Zephaniah 2. He sings over us with mm-hmm. loud singing. He sings over Israel with loud singing. Um, I think this has everything to do with uh, roles. Um, uh, headship and uh, leadership. Um, if if the husband is singing, if men are singing, you will not have a problem with kids singing whatsoever. You won't. You just won't. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and 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 when you see fathers, husbands not singing, you will see that in the kids. Just because the mom sings does not guarantee the kids will care about singing. But when the dad sings and the husband sings, the mom will care, the wife will care, and the kids will care. It's just how it works. It's how God has set this up. Um, it, you know, it goes back to roles, biblical roles and, and headship and leadership within the family. Um, so what I would try to encourage husbands, fathers who, who feel like, man, my voice is just terrible. Um, I, I, I don't know if this would even be helpful for family devotions, for me leading this. What I would say is, Go get help. Go ask someone. Go ask your pastors. Go ask your, how can I learn to sing? Um, Start there. Um, But then also, I think kids, maybe, maybe not right away. They might, you know, oh, dad, you sound terrible. But in the long run, they will grow to respect their fathers for attempting to lead in singing. And, 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 and building thick skin about not necessarily caring about hitting the notes perfectly or sounding like an American Idol finalist. You know, um, I think kids will respect their fathers for at least trying uh, to lead in this way. Maybe not initially. They might be like, oh, dad, you sound terrible. Um, but in the long run, they will. And, and, I, and again, just to reiterate, I believe um, people can learn to sing. Everybody can learn to sing. So, and if you believe that, then go out, find people around you that can sing, ask them, uh, or, you know, what you might want to do, let's say a husband can't, can't sing very well, but his wife can, you know, I, what I would not recommend is him abdicating the singing completely to her in the devotional time, but maybe, Hey, help me. Let, let's sing together. When I try to sing uh, and maybe call the response with the Psalms, or I'm trying to teach him, could you sing with me? And that way I can hear better pitch, practice better pitch, and that kind of thing. I wouldn't just abdicate it completely to the wife, um, 
but I would say, yeah, have, have the wife who can sing or sing better help her husband with singing to the kids. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Awesome. Um, if you have a few more minutes, let's talk a little bit about raising kids in general within this sort of dark culture. Are we yeah. raising, talk about raising, talk about raising kids in a Christian home, in a Christian environment, what that looks like, um, phone usage at very young ages, like how should we, how should we then live with some of these tools that we have, but also dangerous yeah. types of things that I see some kids 10, 10, 11, 12 years old running around with smartphones. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like no way. I mean, there is just because there's there's so much uh, there's so much danger that is within those things. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. And then also marriage. Do we want our kids to marry young? Why do we want our kids to marry young if we do? What is the purpose of all of that? Just kind of yeah. good. OK, so marriage second, raising kids first. Um, yeah, with, with with your question about uh, or the details of your question about um phones technology and that kind of stuff which you see just everywhere these days especially with young kids and it feels like it's getting younger and younger um i just well there's there's two thoughts that come to mind the first one is forgive my language hell no <laughs> they're not getting they're not getting a phone my girls aren't getting a phone at 10 11 8 9 12 nope and at the same time, like wanting to wanting to completely get that off the table and, 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 and not even have that be a temptation for them. There is this this other side where you want to teach them proper use. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, because there is going to come a day where they have those things and they have the freedom because of their age or uh, they're an adult uh, to have these these um, technology, this technology before them. And they will use it. So there, there is a bit of me that's like, nah, -uh, nope, you're never, you're never. And at the same time, wanting there to be this um, uh, shepherding, this guiding on proper use. Thankfully, I am at a point where my girls are not old enough to even consider it. So I have, I have, I have spent less time considering proper use for them but it applies still because they're watching mom and dad, right? They're watching mom and dad with technology and, and they're learning yep. uh, uh, how to use phones, TV technology, even if they don't have it, you know, immediately before them, because they're watching, they're seeing us. So, so proper use begins with mom and dad. Mm -hmm. um, and I say that like, if my wife was listening to this, she would, she would be over here and she'd be looking at me like this. <laughs> why why would she be giving why you would that, she do that because she knows that we fail at this and there are times when my kids are in the room and katie goes you're on your phone you're on your phone and i have to be like darn it i never hear that <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do what's helpful for you to have that self-government to have good habits oh with technology for yourself yeah uh breaks you have things that are helpful breaks okay. taking breaks um look 
I, I don't, I could, I could be a lot better at this, but I know this, I know this to be true. So I say this in, in, with the confession that I can grow in this and be better at this, but that when my girls are around me and their, their dad's home or we're done with school, dad, you know, dad's here or whatever, that me on my phone is just not helpful. It's just not helpful. Um, and I know that when I get older and my girls are married and out of the house, I'm going to have regrets. I already know I'm going to have regrets. So, so, so living almost like with this telos in the end of how, how will my, my girls think of their childhood and their dad specifically with technology? What are their, what is, what's going to be their memory? Like focusing on, on that actually helps me the most just putting away TV and, and the phone. Uh, and yes, um, setting it down, hiding it, putting it in a different room and, and being there with my girls, truly being there because phones and technology, you're not really there Mm -hmm. with your kids if that's what you're primarily doing. Um, and honestly, being married to a wife that constantly reminds me of this is really helpful. That always helps. Yeah. Yeah. It just does. Uh, so, so what do I do? <laughs> I have a wife. That helps. <laughs> you marry well. You okay, marry well. Advice. It's okay. Marry good well. <laughs> I was uh, just kind of uh, adding to that real quick. Uh, and then I'll let you talk marriage or uh, whatever other aspect of the question you want to pick up. Um, but we were on a recent trip uh, a few days ago and it was weird because we were in this hotel and we were in a pool and I was mm-hmm. reading a book called Studiously and Courtney was reading a book and we looked like studious parents and oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. waving at our children like, oh, look at you in the pool. You're so cute or whatever. <laughs> um, and I noticed there was all of these moms and some dads too that were coming in. Their kids would jump in the pool and literally the whole time they were just scrolling and tapping on the phone the entire time. They weren't paying any attention whatsoever. I remember being a hypocrite, looking out of the corner of my eye going, huh, look at that parent over there. Like what is the <laughs> world coming to like, how terrible this is. But then as I kept reflecting on how horrible of a parent they were, I was realizing that's what I look like in my yeah. own house at my kitchen table. Yeah, And it was very convicting and eye-opening for me to actually look across the room and see somebody else's problem it's somebody else's addiction and then to go you know what it's mastered me in some in in, in a lot of ways it has gotten a hold of me so you know it's one of those things that's it's 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 convicting and i think we we have to learn to live with the technology but we also have to learn not to let it master us right and 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 that is the difficult part and that's why i think bringing it up talking to someone around our age yeah who is a pastor to say what are some things that we can do? You know, is it just putting it down? Is it putting it in the other room? Is it realizing that we need to give more eye contact to our children? Uh, because like you said, the tell us, we don't want to have those regrets 20, 10 years from now, 15 years from now to go, Oh, wow. My kid's mental image is me just tapping and scrolling. Like that's yeah. horrific. It's, 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 it's not just the tell us. I mean, obviously that's what I harped on. It's, it's what's do it's, it's how they're being informed and affected in those moments that then dictate how they're going to live and how they're going to raise their kids. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, sin works in, in um, generational ways too, just like faithfulness does. But to your point about in public, I've noticed that too. 
I am so good at condemning people in public. Yeah. So good. Same oh, look at those people. Uh, I'm not. I'm not in public doing that. But then I'm at home doing it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's very convicting. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I would say about um, raising raising kids is that one of the, and this is something I've, I've I've been given. It's been passed down to me in terms of of, of um, lessons and wisdom that I have. Uh, been given so it doesn't come from me necessarily um is that you know when when you when you're raising your kids and you you see their sins very clearly um more clearly than you see your own sins and one of the things that my parents have, have taught me and i'm sure they got it from other people that have taught them is that when you see sins in your kids the first the first thought that should cross your mind is that's probably in me. They probably are doing that because of something that I'm doing, not doing, or some sin that I have that I have not sought to root out and ask the Lord for guidance and help. Um, So it's incredibly humbling to have kids or it should be, it should be because the sins that they, you know, put on or, or the way they act that are in sinful ways, more often than not, they're just acting like mom and dad. And, and, and I think that has been a a very helpful kind of insight or uh, wisdom that has been given to me to not say, because our our instinct is like, well, where'd they learn that? (laughs) Where'd they get that from? Or that's not me. You know, take, not taking responsibility uh, for our kid for our kids' uh, sin, um, and I think that when we see, anytime we see our kids sin clearly, it should smack us in the face and say, "Ah, darn it! Where have we gone wrong? What are we doing? What could we be doing that would help them in this area, in this specific sin?" Um, I think that is a huge. It's, I think I, I think it's covenantal. I think it's it's a huge way to uh, um, stay humble too about your own parenting, and 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 then just how how formative parents are with their kids, um, uh, especially in those areas that we need um, repentance. Yeah, you have a thing that you say about sin and unrepentant sin. Do you know what I'm I talking do. about? Yeah, Hold you on. Do. Uh, in Sunday school, you've mentioned it more than once. Kind of the progression or regression i guess oh yes yes without repentance sin leads to more sin and more sin and more sin something like it that doesn't, it doesn't just affect you yeah right yes um yeah because if there is no repentance and because sin is never content it will only grow more and consume more of of what is around um, and so it, it, it's, it could, you know, it could start small and it could end up being bigger and bigger and bigger if it's not repented of. And then it starts affecting not just the individual, those relationships that individual has, that community that that person lives in, and even more than that, uh, because sin is never content. And that is why repentance is so important because it doesn't just affect the individual. It affects communities and uh, within Christian communities, it affects the church. Yes. Yeah. That's good. Life of repentance is very important 
um, especially for parents though, raising kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And repenting in front of your kids. Oh repenting. yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I, I almost, I, I know people that say, you know, you should never fight in front of your kids. And I think that as a, as a uh, general principle, I think that's good. I think, but sometimes, sometimes fighting in front of your kids just gives you an opportunity to repent to them (laughs) (laughs) and be real and be real with them about the way sin works and, 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 and how we have to fight together and that it affects you kids too. Me and mom fighting affects you kids. And, and, and so that's why I don't just ask my wife's forgiveness. I have to go to them and ask their forgiveness. Um, I, I, I think it's good to try not to fight and obviously try not to raise your voice in front of your kids, but we also need to be real with our kids about, you know, innocence doesn't mean virtue necessarily. Innocence can be helpful. It can be a tool, but it doesn't equal virtue. Um, Anyway, that's off. That's another rant we could go on, but anyway, yeah, that's good. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Do you have any other follow-up questions? Um, just kind of packed in there with, yeah. with kids and your mindset. Um, are you thinking for your kids specifically? Yeah. I, I hope that they go to college and get a good career and like are firm in their career and then start thinking about marriage and, you know, 10 years after that, maybe children, what, what's your, no. okay. yeah, I, I tease, um, Katie and I laugh about you know, we, we homeschool our, our girls and right now we, we, we think of it as we are homeschooling for the purpose of them um, being ready to marry at 18, 19. Yeah, that's the goal. Um, I, I think marriage and having kids is, is presents the most opportunities to die to self. Um, it's Christianity 101, marriage and having kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, and you know, you, you know, these people, uh, um, uh, who, well, I gotta be careful. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> don't <be careful. laughs> you just, there, you know, we have a problem with, um, uh, extended adolescence, extended adolescence. And it is absolutely a result of, of, um, delaying marriage and having kids as if you have to be ready um, or a specific age or have this much money or this career or this successful before you start those things. And I just think that is completely backwards. Um, oftentimes God works, not often, God does work through marriage and having kids in terms of um, uh, maturity. And, and that's what I want for my girls. I, I want maturity. Um, now, I do think 17, 18, 19 year olds might not be ready for marriage for lots of different reasons and a lot of things we could get into, but it is my goal and my prayers that when, when my girls are that age, uh, they will be ready to marry. I want them to marry young. Yeah. I married when I was uh, 21 and it was the stupidest, best decision I've ever made. (laughs) Awesome. I was 23, 22. I was 22 and it was definitely the best decision she ever made. <laughs> yeah. No, just, it was the best decision. Yeah, obviously, it was I mean, good. Yeah. I do think, though, this much later, <laughs> married almost thirteen years. Like, wow, 
that is a huge decision and we made it really mm-hmm. fast and it's worked out really well, but you go, that's so scary. Like it's, it's, it's that one you of, make it so it's, quickly. it's probably the most consequential decision one could possibly make apart from yeah. salvation in Christ. Yeah. I think who you marry and who you spend yeah. every day with, yeah. I'm sure you would agree yeah. is the most consequential decision you're going to make. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't know if you guys think about this and maybe this is tangential, but um, this, this obsession with marrying the right person or the perfect person. Yeah. Who, I mean, how, how perfect do you have to be to marry the perfect person? (laughs) I mean, we're in, in one sense, we're all marrying the wrong person. (laughs) Not really, but I know you mean my point. I'm being provocative. Um, uh, (laughs) You fall in love. And if you fall in love, and you, you get married. That's just what you do when you fall in love. And you might be different. You might be incompatible or not as compatible as other people you know and stuff. Um, well, you fell in love and God wanted you to marry this person because you fell in love. And perhaps your incompatibility is how he's going to sanctify you. you know? Or perhaps your incredible compatibility is how he's going to sanctify you. He knows why, you, why he put you together with that person. And I think people just need to not obsess about the perfect fit kind of yeah. marriage all the time, especially, especially older people in their thirties still looking for wives or husbands. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's our, our entertainment, Nicholas Sparks kind of generation of yes. so many different writers. He's just one that comes to mind of that perfect person that's out there. That's just, you know, beyond mm-hmm. the horizon, beyond the beach walk there, there, he or she is waiting for you in arms. There's a funny story um, with their arms wide wife. open, not in arms, because that would be weapons. <laughs> anyway, um, funny story. My wife, um, it's kind of revealing. Um, she was. This is uh, this is before seminary, so this is about eight years ago. She was uh, watching the Notebook, doing laundry one day. Um, we had one one child at the time, uh, Z, and she was watching the Notebook, and as she was watching it. She got so annoyed with the movie, she ejected it from the DVD player, put it in his case, and went on our back deck and chucked it into the woods. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And I was laughing when I came home and she told me about this. I was like, well, is this because you're, you, you saw the, the pseudo love story that it was or because I'm not living up to this character? <laughs> you you're want. not Noah. You're not the character. Like, this is not who I'm married to. <laughs> What was her answer? Oh, uh, she she hates the movie. She th- thinks it's garbage and not helpful for her for lots of reasons. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. But you know, you ask her that though. You should ask her that. You're better than Ryan Gosling. Clearly, yeah, yeah. You need a break. <laughs> Come on. I'm not. Yeah, that's basically what she was saying. <laughs> this is nothing like my I'll husband. I'll never have Ryan. <laughs> I'll never have Ryan. <laughs> that's good. Yes, yeah. we can get some wrong ideas about love and relationships. Certainly from, from books and movies. No doubt. Well, listen, we've been going a long time. Nicholas from church has a question though. So let me read it real quick. He asks, he asks, what does it mean to be a good man? Not a good person, but a good man. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) Repent. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a good answer. Yeah. Hopefully he'll be satisfied with it. That didn't, you know, was an amazing answer. Um, Yeah, repentance. Yeah, 
which kind of uh, includes humility. Yeah. Yeah. Men should be the quickest to repent, especially to their wives, to their children, to their friends, not be ashamed to do it. Yeah. Repentance. I think that's the most sage advice you could give. I think that's great. I think it's really good. Anything follow up? Any question? Any, any other statement before we call? This was fun. Thanks for having me on guys. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. It was way easier than I I thought. I've never been on a podcast like this before. So it was was easy. It's fun. You guys make it really, uh, really comfortable. So very good. Good. Very good. Well, you did great. I think you should start your own. Definitely. I know you do, but we'll talk later. (laughs) Sounds good. Great. Well, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools to create a new one, a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.